Mercy Me is coming to Pittsburgh. The Together Again tour with Mercy Me, Crowder, and special guest Andrew Ripp. Thursday, October 5th. Bring your family and friends to the PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh for Mercy Me, Crowder, and Andrew Ripp live in concert. Three multiple award-winning artists on one stage for one night. Let your spirit soar, your heart sing, and your faith ignite. Mark your calendars for Thursday, October 5th. Get your tickets now at mercyme.org. It's exciting that the business boutique was made for you. I know that I can make a difference in people's lives, and I want to do that. Hearing a lot of what other people are going through is really healing, in a sense, and motivating as well. I have the world in my hand, and I can do whatever I want. Learning from some of the top leaders who can make these dreams a reality is just so exciting. It ignited a passion in me to know she can do that, we can do that too. I'm so blessed to have heard the podcast that led me to this moment. and welcome to the Business Boutique Podcast. I'm Christy Wright, and today we're talking about the never-ending struggle of time management. Then later on in the show, I'll be interviewing author and speaker Laura Vanderkam. And y'all, she has the incredible gift of showing you how much time you actually have. And believe it or not, it's always more than you think. Then later on in the show, I want us to dig into why we spend our time the way we do. If we don't know why we spend it a certain way, we can't fix it. I'll also be answering some of your questions. But first, let's talk about time management. Now, if you all have followed me for any amount of time, then you know that I have spoken on this idea of life balance or time management for years. It's a constant struggle in my own life, so I always have content, I always have stories, and I always have new things I'm learning. Certainly with having two kids at home, a -a two-and-a-half-year-old son and a one-year-old son, this is something I'm living out with you every single day while trying to chase my dreams and build my business. But what I've realized is that we can operate at the surface level. We can talk about time blocking and priorities and scheduling. We can talk about apps that are going to help you stay organized, and all of that is great. I think those are really good resources to help get you on track. But what I've noticed in my own life is that there's an underlying issue, and that is that I make excuses. That's why I want to take this episode a little bit different direction. Instead of teaching you how to time block and teaching you how to multitask the right way or talking about prioritizing your calendar, I want to get to the root of the issue. And if I'm honest with you, the root of the issue in my own life is that I often make excuses. I say things that are not true. And I make excuses about why I never have enough time. And here's the thing with excuses. We all make excuses about any area of our life. Oh, I can't work out because I don't have any running clothes, or it's going to be too much traffic, or the gym's too crowded, or oh, I can't chase my dream in my business because someone else is already doing it, or I'm too scared, or I don't have enough money, or I don't have enough Facebook fans. You hear that? We can make excuses. Now, it's not just me. I know that you do this too because I hear it all the time in coaching sessions and when I'm meeting you guys at events. But here's the problem. An excuse is not the truth. An excuse is actually a lie presented as the truth. But when we accept an excuse as the truth, you know what it does? It keeps us stuck. It keeps us justified in our little pity party feeling sorry for ourselves, and it doesn't lead to any results or actual change in our life. So instead of accepting these excuses as the truth, instead, we're going to call them what they are. They're lies wrapped as the truth. 
So I want to talk about the top five excuses I hear that steal your time. And then I want to talk about the truth we all need to hear to be set free to win. So let's talk about five excuses that steal your time. Okay, excuse number one, I don't have enough time. You've said it, I've said it, we've all said it. It is just not true. Here's the thing. Um, We have time. In fact, we spend our time on some weird stuff sometimes. Let me give you guys some interesting statistics. Do you know that women spend, on average, eight years of their life shopping? I will admit I'm probably a little bit higher than that. Uh, If that's the average, I really love to shop, so I'm probably a little bit more than that. Women also spend one full year of their life just deciding what to wear. Uh, Guilty as charged there as well. But here's another funny thing. Men spend one year of their life just staring at women. So I'm guessing those cute outfits are paying off because um, people are looking. Another interesting statistic, the average American spends almost five hours per day watching TV. We spend five and a half years of our life on social media, but these statistics are old, and I would be willing to bet that it's much more than that now. In fact, the average American checks their phone 150 times a day. So y'all, we have time. We're spending it on something, and those are just a few examples. Do you know that just in the amount of time that we spend on social media, that five and a half years example, We could fly to the moon and back 32 times. We could walk the Great Wall of China three and a half times, climb Mount Everest 32 times, or run 10,000 marathons. So we have time. When we sit around and we talk about how we don't have enough time, we have time. And that's where the truth comes in. We all have the exact same 24 hours in a day. It's indisputable. I don't care what country you live in. I don't care how old you are, what gender you are, what color you are. Time is the great equalizer. It puts us all on the same playing field. The truth is we all have 24 hours in a day. And you know what? It's not a surprise. We never look up and go, oh, how many hours will I have today? Four, 44, 24? I don't know. No, you always have 24. Time is the most finite resource that we have. We all know exactly how much we get, and because it puts us all in the same playing field, time becomes a major factor in our ability to be successful. See, we don't have a time problem. We have a priority problem. We think we don't have enough time. We all have the exact same amount of time. What we need more than time are priorities. I love the quote by Dave Ramsey where he says, I can tell by looking at your bank account and your calendar what you care about because that's where you spend your time, and that's where you spend your money. So it doesn't come down to us needing more time. So let's stop asking for it. We're not going to get it. What we need are priorities, because when you have priorities, you know what to spend your time on. And then you can be crazy busy, but you feel that sense of balance and satisfaction with your own life, because you're not spending your time on everything. You're spending it on the right things. I also love the quote by Stephen Covey where he says, don't prioritize your schedule, schedule your priorities. Be proactive. You are not the victim in your own life. You are in the driver's seat and you control what you spend your time on. When we realize how finite and limited our time is, 
when we realize we only get 24 hours a day, then it's pretty motivating to begin to spend that precious time only on what's most important to us. Which leads me to my second excuse. The second common excuse I hear all the time, and again, I've said this myself, is everything is important. But here's the truth. If everything is important, then nothing is important. This again goes back to having priorities. You know, I was in college and I was being mentored by this woman named Jana. And Jana was so wise and she was very, very busy. She ran a ministry. She had two young kids. She was a wife. She had a lot going on. And one of the days that we were hanging out, I remember her kind of venting to me and just telling me how stressed and stretched thin. And she listed off all the things she had going on like many of us do. Well, between trying to work out and church and my kids and PTA meetings and my husband needs me and I've got a full-time job and I've got my side business and, 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 and. See, we just make a list. And when we make a list like that, it's very clear that in our mind, all of those things are created equal. All of those things are not created equal. That's why I don't want you to list things out as if everything is on the same hierarchy. I want you to create priorities where there's the first most important thing, and then the second most important, and the third most important, and so on. Because if you treat every single thing in your life as if it's equal, then when two things need you at one time, you don't know how to make decisions because everything's equal. But when you have priorities of first most important, second most important, and so on, then when two things compete, you know exactly how to make decisions. I gave Jana an example in that moment. I said, Jana, I feel like that you treat everything in your life equal. So for example, if I wanted to have lunch with you on a day that it's your husband's birthday, you'd feel really torn. You wouldn't know what to do. And she nodded in agreement. She said, you're right. I wouldn't know what to do. I said, but it wouldn't be like that for me. I have priorities. For example, if you wanted to have lunch with me on a day that my mom came in town and wanted to have lunch, I wouldn't even have to think about it. My answer to you would be no, because lunch with my mom is more important than lunch with you. Now, that's not offensive to you. It's just the reality of priorities in my life. And most people that manage their time well have priorities. It's interesting because she had this aha moment. She was like, you're exactly right. And I thought, fantastic. My little 20-year-old self finally had something to contribute to our relationship after she had invested in me for years. But you know what? Now that I'm a grown woman and a mom and a leader myself, I feel that strain. It's so tempting to treat everything as if it's equal, but it's not. If everything's important, then nothing's important. That's why you need to create a hierarchy of priorities so that you know exactly how to spend your time. And when push comes to shove, you know what makes the cut. Now let's talk about excuse number three. Everyone else steals my time. Everyone else has something they've got going on. I'm always having to do things for other people. It's always about other people. Boo-hoo, feel sorry for me. Everyone else jacks up my calendar. Okay, there may be an element of truth to that. And if you have little kids, yes, they steal your time. No one can derail your plans like children. Can I get an amen? They are the Olympic gold medalists of derailing your plans. However, that's not what I'm talking about here. Kids and blowout diapers and meltdowns in the grocery store aside, you are in control of your calendar. No one is allowed to steal your time unless you let them. And that's what brings me to the truth in this statement. Everyone else does not steal your time. The truth is, anything on your calendar is something that you put there or you allowed to be there. It's your calendar. 
You're in control of your time. You're in control of your life, which means it's up to you to protect your calendar and therefore your time by saying no, by turning things down. I tell you guys this all the time, but you cannot complain about that which you permit. You are not a victim. If you want to take control of your time, you've got to start by taking responsibility for your time. Your time and your life is just that. It's yours. You don't just have the right to say no. You have the responsibility to say no. Because if you don't protect what matters to you, no one else will. No one can do that for you. So everyone else is not stealing your time. You are in control of your calendar and your commitments, and it's up to you to protect it. And if you're uncomfortable saying no, I get that. You can work on it, and you can develop that skill and strengthen that muscle through practice. But I want to encourage you, it's not about saying no anyway. It's about saying yes to what's most important to you. Okay, let's talk about excuse number four. Oh, well, I have no time because I have to do everything myself. Now, this is the signature trait of the perfectionist. And y'all, it takes one to know one. I'm right there with you. It is so tempting to go back and redo everything yourself, whether that's in your home or with your kids or with your spouse or even in your business. I know this sounds crazy, but we're just going to have an honest come to Jesus moment confession time. I'll come home sometimes and I'll see that my husband has got my boys dressed for the day and they're in an outfit and it's a fine shirt and a fine shorts, but they don't match. But they're not, they're like cute matching outfit. And it takes everything in me to not go back upstairs and get the matching set. You know, this seersucker shorts with a cute little t-shirt that has a matching seersucker pocket with the monogram. Do you know that one? Yeah, they look so much cuter in that one. Y'all, I fight it every day. But let's look at the reality. My husband dressed our children. Thank you, Matt Wright, for dressing our children for the day. The perfectionist in me needs to just get off my high horse and settle down and be grateful for a spouse that helps with the children and then save my time by getting out the door and getting the kids out the door versus redressing them. And I know this is crazy, but if you are a perfectionist like me, then you fight this urge every single day of feeling like you have to do everything yourself. You don't. Perfectionism is a self-imposed prison and you hold the key the key to freeing up your time and your peace of mind and your freedom in your own life is letting other people help you, letting them help you do things, even if they don't do it like you would do it, even if they don't do it, quote unquote, as good as you would do it. You know what? They did it. And by doing that, they saved you time. The truth is, perfectionism is a self-imposed prison and you hold the key. I know it's tempting to have this Mother Teresa or hero complex where we feel like we have to be everything to everyone every minute of the day. But the reality is you'll be a lot more effective if you let people help you. If you delegate to your team and your business, if you allow your spouse and your children to do some things around the house, if you don't have to have everything so stinking perfect, if you don't have to do everything yourself, You're going to be freed up to do a lot more things that you want to do and that I believe God could be calling you to do. But it first starts with busting through this excuse, this myth that you have to do it yourself because you don't. All right, let's talk about our last excuse. Excuse number five, I'll do that later. Now, excuse number four was all about the perfectionist. Excuse number five is all about the procrastinator. And I am just all of these things. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a procrastinator. I am lots of problems balled into one. I'll tell you guys, 
I say this all the time. I'll do it later. I'll do that later. I'll get to it later. And you know what? It never happens. I'll give you a great example. I will clean my home office when there's time left over. And as a result, my home office is a complete disaster 365 days a year. Because why? There's never time left over. What I'm really saying is it's not a priority. And that's the truth. You'll do it when you make it a priority. Now, if something's not a priority to you, like in my case, having a clean home office apparently, then that's fine. But just call it what it is. Say, I don't care about clean home offices, therefore it will always be a mess. Thank you and good night, right? Like just own it versus always making the excuse, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. I'll do that later. Next week, next month, next season. No, you won't. You'll do it when you make it a priority. So as I wrap up this teaching in this episode, I wanna ask you, what are your priorities? You're probably seeing a theme here. All of the excuses tie in with the truth and all the truths are somehow wrapped up about priorities because that's what it comes down to. It's not about your time. It's about your priorities. So what are your priorities? In this season of life, in your age, in your stage, in your family situation, in your business situation, what is most important to you? If you do nothing else, what are the most important things that deserve your time? I want you to write those things down. And then I want you to align your calendar and your time with only those things. You guys probably know if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time that I love to run. I love triathlons. I love hiking. I love being active. But it wasn't always like that. I started running early in college, and I'd still never done a triathlon, despite the fact that I really, really wanted to. Well, my senior year of college, there was a sorority on campus at the University of Tennessee that was putting on a miniature sprint distance triathlon for a fundraiser. And even though I wanted so bad to enter this race, I had never done it before, and I was scared. It was like we talked about in the last episode on fear. I was really, really scared. I had all types of reasons of why I could not do this race. I thought, well, I don't have a bike. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the training. I don't know how to transition. I'm out of shape. I haven't swam in a million years. Like on and on and on. I had tons and tons of reasons why I could not sign up to do this triathlon by myself. But it didn't totally deter me because I decided to sign up as a relay. I recruited two of my friends to sign up with me, and I recruited my friend Michelle to do the run and my best friend Jenny to do the swim. I borrowed a bike from a friend, and I thought, okay, we can do this as a relay. Each one of us will do one leg of the race, and then we will have completed a triathlon. So we signed up, and of course, on race day, it was great. Jenny did the swim, I did the bike, and then Jenny and I were sitting right on the sidewalk right by the finish line, waiting for our friend Michelle to come in. We're watching all the runners come in and finish their race, and you could always tell who was a relay participant and who did the full triathlon by themselves because the relay participants had an R on the back of their calf. Well, people were coming across the finish line of all ages and stages of life, and then I noticed there was an 85-year-old man coming across the finish line wearing a tutu, and y'all, He didn't have the letter R on the back of his calf. Well, then two seconds later, this little boy comes across the finish line, and he was maybe six years old. Again, no R on his calf. I looked at Jenny, and I said, what is our excuse? We're young. We're athletic. There is no reason why these two people, an older man and a younger boy, could complete the entire triathlon by themselves, 
and yet we couldn't. We were staying stuck because we were making excuses. That was the day things changed for me. That was the day I went home, I found a full sprint distance triathlon, and I signed up for it. I trained for that race, and that was the first of many, many triathlons that I've done since then. I've done all the way up to Olympic distance triathlons. I've competed and actually placed in duathlons, and I have made an entire hobby of participating in all different types of races. But none of that experience, none of those wins or successes or milestones or personal achievements would have been possible had I not changed my mind that day. I stopped listening to the excuse, and I replaced it with the truth. The truth is I could do it, and I would do it, and I did do it. So I just want to encourage you today. I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if there are excuses that are holding you back in managing your calendar and your time or any area of your life, certainly in your business, I want to encourage you to leave the excuse behind and replace it with the truth. You can do this, and you will do this. Now, y'all know one of the things that I'm always encouraging you to do, and we talked about today, is be willing to say no. But I know that that's kind of hard sometimes, especially if you don't do it very often. Saying no is like a muscle. If you never exercise it, then that muscle's weak. But the more you do it, the stronger that muscle becomes. In fact, I want to help you exercise your no muscle. I've created a free resource for you, and it's called 25 Ways to Protect Your Time. And here's what it is. It's a script of 25 ways to say no without ever saying the word. This is exactly what my husband does to me all the time, by the way, when I have a brilliant new idea to redecorate another room in our house for the 47th time. He says no and never says the word. It starts with an affirmation. He politely declines and then ends with an affirmation. It goes like this. Wow, that is so creative. You know, we don't have the bandwidth right now for any more projects, but way to be a go-getter. That wasn't that nice. But you know what? The answer's still the same. No. And that's exactly what I've done in this download. I've given you 25 ways to say no without ever saying the word. And it's even categorized by different requests you'll get, like work, family, social, volunteer, and so on. So I want you to go to businessboutique.com in the show notes for this episode and download your copy of 25 Ways to Protect Your Time. I promise this will get you started on the right track to not only saying no, but protecting your time more often. Now, I'm so excited about my guest today, Laura Vanderkam. I became a fan of Laura several years ago when I started reading her books and her work. She's the author of several time management and productivity books, including I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including Fast Company, Fortune, USA Today, and the Wall Street Journal. She is an expert on time management. And I'll confess to you guys, a lot of my teaching comes from being inspired by her work. She's become a good friend of mine, and I'm so excited about what she's going to teach us when it comes to time management. Laura, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You know, as I was just saying, even before we started recording, uh, when we decided, my team and I, to do a podcast episode on time management, immediately your name popped to mind. And you've been writing on this topic for years. You've been teaching on this topic for years. And I've followed your work for years. But I would love it for any of our listeners that may not be familiar with you or what you do, if you would tell us a little 
little bit about your work and why this topic is so important to you. Yeah, well, I've long been fascinated by the subject of time. The key thing about time is that we all have the exact same amount of it. We all have 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. And so... I spent many years as a journalist, and I meet lots of amazing people who are doing amazing things professionally, and then I realized, well, some of them actually turn out to have pretty amazing personal lives, too. I mean, maybe running a business and also running marathons or something like that. It's like, well, what are these people doing? It's not that they have any more time than the rest of us. Maybe they're allocating their hours in interesting ways. And so I began studying that and writing about that and hopefully sometimes trying to put some of that stuff into my own life too because I have a pretty busy life as well. I work and I'm raising four children with my husband. So that keeps our time full as well. Well, it's such good accountability, isn't it? Because I teach on life balance and time management as well. And then even simple stuff like how I interact with technology and how much I look at my phone. But because I teach on it, it's like, amazing built-in accountability because I want to walk the walk as well. And so I'm constantly looking at my own calendar and, you know, putting my phone down when I can. So it's so true when you're trying to live that out as well. One of the things that I think is so great about your work that I've always admired about you is you really take all the emotions and the fluff and the fuzzy feelings out of it and you just break it down to very practical application. Here are the amount of hours that you have and here's how you can use them in a way that you're happy with. And so I would love it if you would talk us through a little bit about that approach because I know that so much of your work or all of your work, I'm sure, is based on your research that you've done. So tell us a little bit about why this technique is what you've chosen to use and how your research plays into that. Yes, I love to have people actually keep track of their time, where their time goes, often in half-hour blocks or hour-long blocks, depending on the study. Because the thing with time, as you said, there's so many emotions and stories about it. And so often when you're trying to figure out where the time goes with people and you ask them how they're spending their time, they tell you how they feel about their time. And that's a very Mm. different matter. So if I'm tired from last night, I may decide that my problem is I'm not sleeping enough, but maybe I didn't sleep enough last night, but maybe that's not the big problem in my life. There may be other things, or you know, I might feel that I'm working too many hours, but it's just because I'm feeling very stressed at work. It's not the actual number of hours. Maybe it's that I'm feeling like things aren't going as I want them to go. And, and so I think it's important to separate out these stories from the actual numbers. It doesn't mean that the stories aren't important. They are important, but sometimes when we see the numbers themselves, then we can say, well, how does this play into the stories? And maybe it's they're a little bit more to the story than we see at first glance. So I have people keep track of their time, usually for a week. We see where the time really goes. We see what time is available for things that aren't happening that we would like to have happen, or what time is going to things that we don't really want to have happen. And maybe we could cut that down a little bit. And it's very eye-opening for people. It's always eye-opening for me. I track my own time and I keep learning a lot as I'm doing it. Well, and when you have to face it that way, you realize that the numbers aren't necessarily what you thought they were. Kind of like you were saying, and I know you've written about this before, Laura, where you say a lot of times we have the tendency to overestimate how many hours we work. We think, oh, I work 80 hours a week. And I'm sure for women that are listening right now that run home-based businesses, 
it's easy to do because many of them have their business in their home. So it feels like they're always working. So talk a little bit about how in our minds, we tend to exaggerate some of these numbers. Yeah. And I've had people literally say, well, how many hours are there in a week? I'm like 168. They say, well, okay, I think I sleep about 50. So I'm working 118. It's like, well, really? (laughs) (laughs) You never eat. You never go to the bathroom. You never take a shower. You never drive. (laughs) You never drive anywhere. You never, you know, do anything else. And I think what it is, is especially if you are running your own business, you can get thoughts about your business. Watching the movie Talladega Nights, all of a sudden a thought from your business will pop in your mind. (laughs) That doesn't mean you are working, though. I mean, I will give people credit for that as work only if absolutely every single minute that you are working on your business, your mind isn't wandering about a, you know, fight you had with a friend or your partner or whatever. I mean, you know, the mind can go all kinds of places. It's often not where we are. But I think it is very easy to overestimate how many hours we work because work often feels long. It feels stressful sometimes. It feels more like we're accountable for it. We're often more mindful of where our work hours go than we are with our leisure time. And when we put stuff on our schedule that we're attending to accomplish, that makes time seem bigger as well. And we often don't do that with our leisure hours. And so it feels like they're not really there. We don't necessarily think through them with that same level of mindfulness. So when people do keep track of their time, people are often amazed, I want to say, at how few hours they're working. It's usually not nothing that they're working. But somebody may have been telling themselves, well, I work 65 hours a week. They keep track of their time for a week, and it'll be a number like 44. Mm. And either that was an improbably light week or totally atypical in some way, but it's often more that this person worked 12 hours on some day in their life, and that 12 hours is what is sticking in their head as a typical day. There are five work days in a week, so then, hey, that's 60, and it feels like I did a lot of work this weekend. Let's say that's five hours, so that's why I'm working 65 hours a week. But it turns out that that 12 hours didn't happen all that often, and there's usually longer breaks, or you cut out early on a couple days a week for other things, or start working a little later, and then... Those email checks on weekends added up to 90 minutes, not to five hours. And you see how this happens. The time starts going down and down and down, which, you know, I'm not trying to play gotcha with anyone. I don't care how many hours you work. You can work however many hours works for you. But what it does show us then is if you thought you were working 65 and you tend to be working 45 more regularly, well, that's 20 more hours we have to play around with for fun stuff, for relaxing, for hanging out with family or whatever it is you want to do. And it also then keeps us more accountable with our work time. Because if you think you've got 65 hours a week to play around with, you might be a little less efficient with stuff because you feel, well, I've got all these hours to put at it anyway. If you know there's only 45, you got to be a little bit more on top of your game. And sometimes that's good to keep in mind as well. Well, and I think this tracking thing is such a great idea, too, because like we said, it forces you to face it in black and white. And it's kind of like I would imagine it's like if you track your calories, you're like, oh, this banana here, donut there, one cookie (laughs) there. And then you track it and you're like, holy cow, like I'm eating thousands more calories in a day than I expected to. But it was facing it that brought you that awareness. And it's the same thing with your calendar and looking at how you spend your time. You know, I read somewhere that the average American watches between three to five hours of TV per day. And when I first saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, there's no way. Like, there's no way I watch three to five hours of TV a day. Now, 
if you calculate turning on the news in the morning, that's in the background when I'm getting ready or drinking my coffee or whatever, and then at night, the news, and then might not have one show, I'm like, wow, there are days where I easily watch three to four to five hours of TV. And that awareness, when you write it down, really forces you to face it. I think that's such a great application for us because then, to your point, it allows you to see not only where you're spending your time, but if you can free up some time and realize, oh, I'm not working as many hours as I thought, or I'm watching more TV than I want to, so I can cut some of that out, you're now finding time. Even though your time is finite, you've got more time, like you said, to play around with. And that's one of the real gifts that you have, Laura, and I love that about you, that you have the ability to take a topic like time management that people are so stressed out about and a topic that's finite, you know, 24 hours in a day that you can't get more, and you have the ability to make people find time and feel like they have more of it. So really, how do you do that? Like, how do you take this practice of walking people through tracking their time, and at the end of it, they're going, oh, I have more time than I thought. Kind of walk us through how that works. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's usually a very fun thing with people get their heads around that they do have more time than they think. And especially if they've been telling themselves stories for years that they don't, it can be a little bit tough to get to this new story. But once you do, it's absolutely liberating. And I have some of these stories I tell myself. I mean, I have always loved to read, but I sort of had in my mind that I didn't have time for sort of these big meaty novels and all this in my life. And when I tracked my time for an entire year, which I'm not saying anyone else has to do, but I did, (laughs) I read 327 hours that year, which is almost an hour a day. Like that's not an insignificant amount, but so much of it was an article or two here and there in a newspaper that I didn't really care about or like gossip magazines (laughs) or something like that. It's just stupid stuff that didn't mean anything to me. And so I was like, well, what if I took those 327 seven hours and put them to something more intentional, like actually get good books to read during that time. And this year I've challenged myself to do that and I'm reading a lot and it's great. I'm really enjoying what I'm getting through. And curiously enough, one of the ways I wound up doing that is noticing that I had lots of these little bits of time, small bits of time through the day. I mean, maybe it's that I've got 20 minutes while a kid is at karate practice, or it's 10 minutes before a phone call starts. You're not really going to start anything before the phone call starts. The person calls five minutes late. You know, you got that 10 minutes there. And it's easy to let this time slip away or just check email over and over again, which is sort of soul crushing when you do that constantly. (laughs) And so I just put a Kindle app on my phone and I read ebooks during that time. And you can get through an amazing quantity of books, shall we say, if you are using those 10 minute chunks to read instead of checking email or looking at social media or something like that. So it's really about seeing where the time might be, what your habits are. And then one more thing with that that lets people feel relaxed is being really clear on what your goals are in all the major spheres of life and sort of what your priorities are for the next week. I plan my weeks on Friday afternoon, looking at the week ahead and say, well, what are my top professional priorities? Maybe just like three or four of those. My top relationship priorities, so family and friends. And then top personal priorities, whatever my maybe fitness goals or reading goals or whatever else it is that I want to do with myself in the week. And take three in each category, look at the next week. Well, putting nine things into your week is not really asking all that much to put somewhere in 168 hours. And I try and front load the week with as many of them as possible. But it's just so 
liberating when people start to do this, to say, well, wow, I accomplished most of my major business and personal goals on Monday. <laughs> like the right. rest of the week is, whoa, who even cares what happens with the rest of the week? Right. I, I know that I have scored some major victories already as a wife or mom or friend. I know I've scored some big wins for my business. Who even cares if I'm on Facebook all of Tuesday? Because I did this stuff already. And I think that really allows people to feel free about their time. That's such a great example because what you're describing right there is this sense of pride and satisfaction and accomplishment in your own life, which I would say, Laura, in my own life, something I struggle with in many of the women that I coach, it's very different than what I hear them talking about because it's the exact opposite of pride. It's usually guilt. And that comes from focusing on all that we're not doing. So even if we accomplish a ton, to your point, on Monday, and we hit all of our goals, if we don't go through this exercise of tracking our time or focusing, even choosing to intentionally focus on those things that we did and the goals we accomplished, then we're always looking in the rearview mirror. We're always focusing on the place that we're absent, on the things that we didn't get to on our to-do list. And we live perpetually in this state of guilt. And it's so interesting because I think we have a tendency, especially with social media, to judge others by everything they're doing because they're posting it, and judge ourselves by what we're not doing. So someone may see a picture of me playing with my kids in the yard and think, oh my gosh, Christy's such a great mom. She just plays with her kids. I'm like, you don't see the piles of laundry or the (laughs) fact that my house is a wreck or I didn't get to X, Y, Z. So just figuring out what your goals are and hitting those things and being proud and satisfied in those areas. Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, there's a million other things you could be doing, but on some level, so what? I sort of feel like... Small progress, small steps taken very consistently lead to great things over time. If you want to write a book and you set out to do it all in like two days, it's not going to work and you're going to feel bad about it and you're not going to get anywhere. But what if you say, well, I'm going to write 500 words a day and I do that five days a week. Well, I'm going to have a draft in six months. And six months are going to come one way or the other. Like eventually we're going to be on the other side of those next six months. And you could either have a draft of a novel or not. But by making those small consistent steps, you are far more likely to get there than cutting off you know, more than you can chew and then getting discouraged and stopping. I think it's the getting discouraged and stopping that leads to people not achieving their goals. I mean, so many things. It doesn't take much in the short run. We completely underestimate what we can do in the long run because we often overestimate what we can do in the short run. And so if you just keep making these small steps, I mean, low expectations that are met is the key to happiness. Oh, I love that. That's a good tweetable line. It's so funny as you talk about this, Laura, though, because I am just your typical entrepreneur mindset where we just live in extremes. And I teach baby steps. Dave teaches baby steps. I'm all about these small incremental progress, exactly like you're talking about. But Laura, it's so hard because that's not impressive. That's exactly where it gets us, like you're talking about. We get discouraged and it's these unrealistic expectations And we burn out and we give up. And it's really in the safe middle of moderation where success happens. And you take those baby steps that get you to those bigger goals. But we've got to be willing to be in those baby steps. And often we don't want to. You know, I'm your typical extremist. I'm either working out every day or I'm eating Oreos by the sleeve on the couch. Like there's no in between. Like it's one or the other. I think the important thing with that is that you'll get to write that Instagram post. It's just you'll write it six months from now. (laughs) And so it's like, look, I finished a draft of a novel. Like you didn't get to write it today, but you wrote it six months from now. And that's still 
there. I mean, you still get credit right. for it. That is six months of future. Or you want to run a marathon and you haven't walked a mile. Like, I bet in 18 months you could. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but you will be able to write that post. It's just that it's a little bit further in the future, but it will still be there. Yes. And I think, too, a lot of it goes back to what we were talking about. Even with social media in comparison, we look at other people doing big things and we assume it happened overnight. And we know that in reality, it didn't. You no, know, it took not. them a lot of baby steps and a lot of time to get there. And, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking, Laura, I would love to hear from you. What are some of the common themes that you see in your research? Because I know even just with me coaching women, I see patterns. I see mom guilt or overwhelm or the lines blurred between work at home because they work at home and their businesses run out of their home. But I'd love to hear from you. You work with highly successful women in major companies, high levels of leadership that are in demand, not just in their career. They also have successful families and friends and they take care of their body and so on. So I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the themes that you see? What are your top findings you're seeing in your research with women that you're working with? Well, there's a couple I see. One is work-life integration is really the name of the game these days. And that's probably intuitive for a lot of your listeners who are entrepreneurs running side businesses or things like that. I mean, work and life blends together because it has to. But I found that even women in jobs that don't seem particularly flexible or that would lend themselves to that sort of thing often do take the flexibility, whether anyone has officially granted it to them or not. So many women, for instance, even if they're working in an office, will leave the office at a reasonable hour, go home, spend their evenings with their family, and then do more work at night after the kids go to bed. And for somebody who doesn't work right next to them, for all they know, wow, they're still working at 10 o'clock at night. What a go-getter. But it's like, well, you didn't see that she was home with her kids from 6 to 9 p.m. <laughs> and they're not going to tell you about it either because it doesn't help them to tell everybody about it, but they do it. Right. And that's how they have that sort of life. So work-life integration, I think thinking 168 hours, not 24. Okay. People often fall into this 24-hour trap where they think that Anything that matters in their life has to happen on any given day. Or sometimes people think it has to happen at the same time every day in order to count in their lives. People always want to tell me about their daily habits. But then I ask them about their daily habits. It turns out they often mean Monday to Thursday. That's not daily. That's four times a week. And so if you keep right. in your mind, like, anything that happens four times a week is happening more often than it isn't. Well, it doesn't have to be Monday through Thursday. I mean, it could be Thursday through Sunday, honestly. <laughs> it could be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. It could be Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. I, you know, it it doesn't really matter, but it doesn't have to be daily Monday to Thursday in order to count in our lives. And I particularly see when people are pitting work against family, often it's coming from having this very limited view of the week. Like, oh, I work late tonight. I didn't get to put my kids to bed. I'm a horrible parent. La, la, la. It's like, well, okay, you didn't tonight. Right. But if you were tracking your time, we might have seen that you did last night and you will right. tomorrow night, which are just as much nights as tonight. So why are we stuck in this one 24 hours? Whereas we look at the whole of the week, we say, wow, you know, I was there five out of seven nights. Yes, I worked late twice, but I was there five nights, which is considerably greater than two. So let's look at the whole of the week. And then the final thing I would say they do is they get the support they need. Sometimes that's family help or, you know, trading off with friends and stuff. Certainly if people are married or have a partner that they're leaning on that person a lot for help, paid help when that's necessary in their lives. And, you know, if people do need to hire babysitters, nannies, help with the housework, whatever it is, no shame in it. It's what allows you to get the important stuff 
done, the stuff that only you can do. And so having that support is the difference between feeling frantic and feeling calm. Mm, That's a great example there, because I know certainly in my life and in the last two years, the support I've needed has increased exponentially because my demands at work have increased exponentially. And I can't continue to add things to my plate and not have help or give something up. And so that's certainly been true in my life. You know, you said something a second ago I want to circle back on when you were talking about the thinking in 168-hour increments rather than 24-hour increments and this idea of feeling guilty for not putting your kids down, that type of thing. Do you see any type of correlation with your research on time management or themes and the people you work with in whether or not they like their job? Because I heard something a couple weeks ago that 70% of Americans do not like their job. And I would imagine, now this isn't true for me, I love my job, I love the work that I do, but I would imagine that if you don't love the work that you do, then you would absolutely hate the time away from your kids because it's not time away from your kids and your family and these other things in order to do another thing you love. It's in order to do something you don't enjoy. And I would imagine this really plays into our work-life integration, our work-life balance, our sense of satisfaction with how we spend our time. Do you see that? Is that a part of your research and what you're finding? I certainly see that this does play into it if you don't like what you do. And I mean, nobody loves 100% of their job. I mean, let's <laughs> that's like saying that you're going to love every single thing about your spouse Like, no, there's certain things you learn to live with and other things you absolutely love. So hopefully the ratio is just high enough that you are enjoying it. Now, if you don't, yes, it's going to be hard to have those 40 hours away that you wanted to be doing other things. And I think that's where some of the stories come into. I mean, I can tell people, look, there's 168 hours a week. If you're working 40, sleeping eight hours a night, so that's 56 hours per week, that leaves 72 hours for other things. But if they hate the 40, like, it makes them mad the other 72 hours. And so then they can't really enjoy those 72 hours to the extent that they would like or else it gets into this bad situation of like, you know, spending a lot of money in order to make themselves feel better during those 72 hours to account for the 40 that they don't like. So there's many things that can happen with that. But there's a lot of jobs out there and there's a lot of ways to make a living. So if somebody does not feel like what they're doing is making the best use of their skills and their talents and their time, then it would behoove you to start looking around and seeing what else there is because I don't think there's very many people that there's only one way they could make a living. There's probably many ways for many people and whether that is something entrepreneurial, which could be great, that could be a wonderful way to do something you love with your time and have control of your time. But even within a normal traditional job, probably your skills could go to a different industry. Your skills might be able to go to a different company in the same industry that has more fun people to work with or something like that. But start looking around. The best time to look for a new job is when you already have one. So really, Really be working that network, getting to know people outside your company, outside your industry, so that you have options if you've decided that you've had enough. That's a great point. I know many of the women that are listening right now, they have side businesses uh, in addition to their full-time job. And for many of them, their why and their motivator is to do something that they love. Either they don't love their job or they just want more flexibility. They want to set their own schedule and not have a commute and be able to work their business around kids' field trips and parties and soccer games. And when you have your own business, many times you can do that. And so it's a great example for the women listening that are able to do that and spend that time and build that business up so that they can do more of that. Now, Laura, you have a book 
titled, I Know How She Does It. And I love this book title so much. It's so clever. It's so catchy. And I would love it if you would tell us, how does she do it? Because this is, again, based on your research of highly successful women. Tell us a little bit about the book and what are some of the key findings in your research that enabled these women to be so successful in multiple areas of their lives? Yeah, so I did a time diary study of 1,001 days in the lives of women who had big jobs and also had kids at home. Lots of ways you can be busy in life without kids at home, but that was one objective criteria and yes. you know all that. So I had them keep track of their time. I added everything up. I looked at how much time people were devoting to different things. And it was many of the things we were talking about before. I mean, in terms of looking at the whole of 168 hours, embracing work-life integration, getting the support you need, not feeling bad about taking some time for your own interests, but being mindful about that leisure time. I mean, yes, if you have young kids, if you are building a career, especially if you're building your own business too, your leisure time is going to be more limited than somebody who's in a different phase of life. That is just reality. And I can see that in the numbers. We had talked earlier about the average American was watching like three to five hours of TV per day. The women in my study were watching three to five hours of TV per week. It's a different kind of category. (laughs) But that doesn't mean they had no other leisure time. Almost all of them were exercising, curiously enough. That was an amazing thing to see. But I think it's partly about managing their energy. They say like, oh, well, it takes energy to build a career. It takes energy to raise a family. How do I get energy? Well, exercise is certainly one way to do that. Getting enough sleep is another way to boost your energy levels. People read, people went out with friends. It was also about being mindful of that leisure time and choosing what to do with it. One woman in particular I profiled in the book, work full time, two young kids, makes amazing, beautiful scrapbooks. And in essence, what it is, is that after her girls go to bed, that is what she does. She does not turn on the TV. She does not go cruising around online, reading some listicle on like, eight ways you can tell you were born in the late 1970s or whatever it is that's on BuzzFeed (laughs) today. But, you know, she doesn't read that stuff. She gets out her scrapbooks and she does it. And it turns out there was like two hours after her kids go to bed before she has to go to bed. So that's not an insignificant quantity of time. And so she can make these gorgeous scrapbooks and really tap that artistic side of herself. But it's about consciously using that time for something meaningful as opposed to letting it slip through her fingers by watching TV, being on social media, that sort of thing. I think that's something that so many people miss because it's not about these are right activities or wrong activities, but simply being intentional. And, you know, one of the things I'd love to hear your thoughts on, Laura, is this idea of seasons. And I speak on this often, I guess, because I experienced this in my own life. So for example, this past spring, I was on book tour. All of last year, I was writing the book, Business Boutique. And I did exactly what you were referring to earlier, where I would get home at 530. I'd hang out with my son, Carter. My son, Conley, wasn't born yet. I was pregnant with him hang out with Carter and my husband until he went down at 7. And then I would write until 10, 11, midnight. And I would turn in these different chapters of the manuscript or edits and so on. And that was what that season looked like. And then this spring, I traveled a lot. And so I didn't see my friends as much, but that was that season. This summer, I went to the playground and picnics and hung out with my friends. And I'd catch up on, you know, a fun summer dance show or something. But that was that season. And so for me, my priorities tend to shift, and maybe it's just the way my business is structured, but tend to shift per season where what's a priority in one season may be a little bit different in another season. You know, right now, 
if I have a couple hours at night after the boys go down, my husband and I will often hang out on our deck. We have a great deck and I love the fall. So we'll sit out there and just talk and whatever, maybe have a fire pit and so on. Spending my time on the things that give me joy that are very important to me and so on. Do you see this pattern in terms of seasons and other people you work with? Or is it kind of dependent on your job or your career and so on? Oh, I definitely do. I do think, yes, it's about consciously choosing how we want to spend that time. And certain phases of life will be different. I found that, for instance, women who have children under under age two, so who have babies, have significantly me, less me, leisure Laura, time. Me. Yes, you. <laughs> you have less leisure time diet. <laughs> than other people do. But it changes because guess what? Children only spend two years being under age two. And after that, you start to get some of that time back. I've certainly seen that in my own life. My littlest guy is now two years and nine months. And what I have been able to do this year in my leisure time is – a lot greater than what I could do last year in my leisure time right. just because more of it exists. Like he can play in the basement without me worrying that he's going to find a fork and stick it in his eye. Time opens up in a way that it doesn't when you have very little kids. So that's a phase that will change. I mean, women who have very young kids are often feeling a little run down, as one can imagine, but it does change. That's great. And there may be more time for sort of bigger pursuits later. But that doesn't mean that if something is a priority for you, even if you do have young kids, you can still do it. I mean, you just have to be more clear on what is a priority for you. So there are definitely people who travel with young kids or who figure out a way that they can take, say, two longer international trips a year if they've got family who's willing to help out with the kids, for instance. And that's a priority for them. That's how they want to spend their time and money. They do. And that's great. So there's very few things that you absolutely can't do at certain phases of your life. It just helps to know that some times in life, time will be a little bit more constrained feeling than other times of your life. Well, and I love what you're talking about because you're really giving us permission to live in weak increments where, like you said, something may not be perfect on a given day. You may not have any time for one particular thing you love or that's important to you on a particular day. But throughout the week, you're able to spend time on those things that are the most important to you. And really, a lot of what you're saying too, Laura, is focusing on what you are doing, not on what you're not doing, and being intentional with how we're spending our time on those most important things, and then being proud of that, being really happy, like, hey, I hung out with my kids, I cooked dinner one night this week, or here are the things I did do, and being proud of those things rather than always focusing on what you're not getting to. And I just really appreciate this help because this is something that even though I teach this it's a daily struggle. I do have two kids that are two and one and have a business and have a lot of interest. You know, there are a lot of things I enjoy. I love to run marathons and time with my husband. And sometimes it just feels like you don't have time for all the things you want to do. And so it's just so helpful to have an outside perspective and your wisdom and your experience and just really practical tips for us that we can put into practice. And I think this time tracker activity is a great challenge for our listeners to, for one week, actually track our time. So I would love it as we're wrapping up, if you would walk us through exactly how to do that so that they can do this and then see how much time they actually do have. Yeah, I think it is so valuable to track your time. And I really hope some of your listeners will try it. If you do, feel free to email me your time log. I'd love to see it. But I track my time on a spreadsheet. It's very simple. It's got half hour blocks on the left hand side of the spreadsheet. It's got days of the week along the top. And I just fill it in. And it's very basic, like work or sleep or hung out with kids, driving car, you know, clean up kitchen, whatever it is. But seeing the patterns overall really helps me. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's better just have it be done. You can get a time tracker from my website, which is lauravandercam.com. But it's really very simple. You can make your own. There's also 
dozens of time tracking apps on the market that some people enjoy doing. Or you walk around with a little notebook, like you want to look all artsy with this moleskin notebook you're writing in all the time. You can do that. Like <laughs> <So> whatever, <hipster. laughs> whatever you want to look like, your hipster time tracker here. It's more important that you get through the time, that you're honest about where it goes, and that you start to notice the patterns. And at the end of the week, you look at it and first ask yourself what you like about your schedule, because it's your life. So hopefully there's something that's working really well, and we should celebrate that. Ask what you want to spend more time doing with your life and figure out what you want to spend a little bit less time doing and see how you can make those changes. That's so good. Laura, thank you so much for all of your help and your tips and such great advice and wisdom for us to put into practice in our lives, but also will help us even in our businesses. I would love it as we wrap up if you would tell our listeners how they can connect with you, email you, get the time tracker, follow you on social media, all the good stuff. How can they find you? <laughs> yeah, so my website is lauravandercam.com. That's just my name. You can email me, lvandercam at yahoo.com. So just first initial, last name. Social media, boy, where am I not? <laughs> I lose track. <laughs> I spend too much time on social media. Can I admit that on a podcast on yes, time management? Yes, confession uh, time. <laughs> yes, Twitter. Twitter may be the easiest place. I'm at Vandercam there as well. So I'd love to connect with people. So I hope I'll hear from some folks. Awesome. Laura, thank you so much for your time and for hanging out with us. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to be having some eye-opening moments when they look at how their time is spent. And I just really appreciate you taking time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Gosh, isn't Laura great? I was sitting here taking notes with you guys because every time I'm around her, I learn something new. Now, I want to stop for a minute and talk about something different. You know, we talk on this show all the time about specific aspects of your business like social media and marketing and selling and time management. But this week, I want to go back to the basics for a second and let's talk about why. Specifically, why we're doing what we're doing. I'm going to be honest with you all. It's mid-November. I just had our huge business boutique event in Nashville, which was amazing. I'm traveling every single weekend this month, and I've been traveling most of the fall. I'm really busy, and I'm really tired. But it's very easy to get busy and forget about your why. It's easy to just crank up the speed on your treadmill, and you run faster, and you add more to your plate, but you have no idea what you're doing, where you're going, or why you're doing it. So I want to stop really quick, and maybe this is because this is what I'm going through in my own life, and maybe some of you are too, but I want us to stop together and reset. Let's remember our why. Why are you doing this? Why does it matter to you? Why are you making the decisions that you're making? Why are you spending time on the things that you're spending time on? You know, it's so easy to continue to say yes to opportunities and continue to fulfill commitments that you've fulfilled for years and years because, well, you've just always done it. But that may not be right for you in this season that you're in. So we're coming up on the end of the year. We're going into 2018. It's going to be a new year in your life, in your family, and in your business. You're probably going to set some new goals. In fact, I hope you do. But what needs to be different about next year than this year? What's the new season that you're moving into, and what do you want to spend your time on? You know, when you just simply ask yourself a question, why am I doing this? It helps you think about if it's the right decision for you. It helps you decide where to spend your time, where you say yes, and where you say no. Because you just ask a simple question, why am I doing this? The other thing this question does is it helps you remember why you're doing it in the big picture. Because if you're really tired like I am, and you're going into the holidays like I am, then you know that it's about to only get busier. 
That's a great thing for your business, but if you're already running on empty and running on fumes, you may be overwhelmed. But when you remember why you're doing it, when you remember the passion and the story and the impact that you're having, when you remember that thing that gets you up in the morning, it helps you stay the course. It gives you that extra fuel and extra burst of energy that you need to stick with it through the end of the year, to stay strong and do an excellent job even though you're tired. So I want you to think about a few things. Number one, what's your why? What's your big picture why for this business? If you don't have that somewhere front and center in your office or your car or your workspace, I want you to write it down. Let that fuel you through this next season of the holidays. The second thing I want you to ask yourself is why am I spending time on the things that I'm spending time on? That's going to help you reevaluate your calendar, especially going into the new year. There may be some commitments that you need to cut off and maybe some new things you want to add on. And the third question I want you to think about, especially going into next year, is where do you want your life and your business to be one year from now? When you're listening to the podcast next November, 12 months from now, what do you want to happen in your business? Where do you want to be? What's going on? I want you to visualize and imagine every single aspect of it. Where are you living? How much money are you making? What are your kids doing? What's your husband doing? What are you doing? I want you to think about those things and paint that picture. And then I want you to back out of it. What has to be true today for that result to come true in 12 months? What has to be true in three months to move you towards that 12-month goal? I want you to start to think about where you want to be a year from now and back out of that and begin to make decisions today about how you spend your time, what goals you set, and what actions you take to begin to move you in the direction of that 12-month vision. You know, at the end of the day, I want you to chase your version of success. It's very easy with social media to look at everyone else and what they're doing and how they're building their business and what they're selling and what's working for them and think, oh, I've got to do it that way. I've got to build my business that way. I've got to raise my kids that way. I've got to do life that way. But you know what? You don't. It's your life. It's your kids. It's your marriage. It's your business. You do it exactly how you want to. So think about your why, your why of your business, your why of how you spend your time, and think about where you want to be in 12 months. I want to help you chase your version of success, not some version of success that you feel pressured into or guilted into or compared into. Let's figure out your finish line, and then let's work really hard to cross it. Now, this past spring, you all asked me questions by going to our podcast booth at our business boutique one day events. And now I'm going to answer a few of those questions. Our first question comes from Valerie. Valerie, what's your question for me? My name is Valerie, and I'm starting a photography business. I live in a really small town. Like, it's really small. There's not even a Walmart. And I'm charging more than everybody else in our area. And I'm not really charging a lot. I've already figured that that's the least I can charge, and really I'm making less than I would if I worked at the office that I work at. I feel bad every time I have to tell people this is how much I charge, or they ask, why are you charging that much? How to value myself and to not feel like I have to give it away for less. Valerie, that's a tough situation, and I totally hear you. One of the things that I teach women when I'm talking about setting a price for your product or service is that you want to consider all the variables when setting your price. Two of the variables you want to think about are location and what the market will bear. Now, if you live in a small town, then what the market in your small town will bear 
based on your location, is probably a lot less than someone in a larger town or even a big city. That's going to be a reality in the business that you're setting up, but that doesn't mean you can't make more money. So first, let me answer your question about how to value yourself and not feel like that you have to give it away for less. You need to deliver. You need to give them the best photos they've ever had. If you deliver on your promise and you deliver great quality and great service and great photos, then people don't mind paying more because you're delivering more value that matches the price you're charging. The only problem is when you raise your prices but don't deliver on your promise or on your value. So be sure that you're over-delivering on your actual skill and on your photos, and then people will be happier to pay that price. However, if you're still hitting a ceiling of what people can afford in that small town, I want to encourage you to think outside the box. And in your case, the box is your town. How can you make more money in your business outside of pay-for-service photography? Is there a way that you could teach a photography class online? Is there a way that you could teach an editing class online? Could you record a course? Could you have some other format for creating income into your business that opens up your marketing to the entire world through the internet versus being stuck only being able to charge the people in your town? Because not to mention, if your small town will only pay a certain price point, you've also only got so many people in your small town you're going to max out at some point. So I just want to encourage you, first, be sure you're delivering on the value you're providing through your photography business, and then that justifies you charging more than anyone else. But secondly, don't stop there. Think of ways to create multiple streams of income, residual income, and other sources of revenue into your business beyond the photography business where you're actually shooting sessions. Find ways to create an online component to your business in order to diversify your income. If you do those two things, you'll be on your way to making more money in your business. Great question. Now, our next question is from Myra. Myra, what's your question for me? My name is Myra, and my daughter is 12 years old. My question is, how can I get my daughter involved in a business? How can I advocate her? How can I help her, guide her? She has so many ideas. She's a very creative person. She's always asking me, how can I do this, mom? How can I sell something? But I don't know how can I help my daughter to get involved in something like that. How can I help my daughter to brainstorm ideas of what is one specific for her to choose? Myra, I love that. That makes me so excited for you and for your go-getter little daughter. I'll tell you, sometimes just exposing your child to things can be enough inspiration to get her going. So as silly as it sounds, if you show her some of my videos on YouTube or you let her listen to the podcast, if you're listening right now, Myra's daughter, I think that you're awesome and I think you're going to rock it. Sometimes just exposing children will give them the jumpstart that they need. For you, though, it sounds like you have a creative daughter and it sounds like she has a lot of ideas. I would help her pick one idea and follow through. What one idea is her best idea, her favorite idea, her easiest idea? When you find that idea, help her take some baby steps to bring it to reality. If it's a product, how do you get the product created? How can you actually put a price on it and start to sell through Facebook or even in the local community center or a YMCA or at church? Just dip your toe in the water. All you're doing right now is trying to expose her to it. When you expose her to business and to what it feels like and to how to interact with people, that's going to teach her a lot simply through experience. 
So I love that you have a go-getter daughter on your hands, and I think that if you just help her take a couple baby steps in one direction, that'll be all she needs to get the ball rolling. I love that question, and Myra, be sure to give me an update when she is out there rocking it in business, because I would love to tell her story. All right, our last question comes from Julie. Julie, what's your question for me? My name is Julie, and my question is, I have friends that are wanting to start up a business, and they want me to be a part of it. It's actually a jewelry business, and we make the jewelry, but they're wanting to do it with debt, and that is something that I do not want to do. What is the best way to reach out to them and explain my thought process whenever they don't think the same way that I do? Julie, I hear you, and I'll tell you, that intuition is wisdom, because what you're talking about here is not a business decision. It's a value decision. And if you're not aligned with their values, whether that's about debt or anything for that matter, then you shouldn't go into business with them. In fact, Julie, I actually recommend that no one goes into business in partnerships anyway, but you already have a red flag on your hands and you haven't even gotten into business yet. That's why, Julie, I really want you to think about what you want to do. If it's a jewelry business also, awesome. Go ahead and do it. Just do it yourself. Find a way to do business with others without going into business with others. I talk about this often through the business boutique because believe it or not, most partnerships fail. And when they do, it's expensive. And not only that, it damages relationships. Keep your friends friends and find a way to do business together if you want to, but not go into business together. That way, not only are you not going against your friendship, but you're not going against your personal values. It's a great question. I definitely think that you have a lot of wisdom by identifying that this may be a concern right off the bat. Stay the course and do your own thing. You've got this, Julie. All right, y'all. If you have a question about something we've talked about here on my podcast or anything about your business, I would love to hear from you. You can send me your questions on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by using the hashtag AskChristyWright. We've also set up a group in the Business Boutique community at businessboutique.com called hashtag AskChristyWright, where you can send me your questions and meet all of the other amazing women there. So send me your questions because I'd love to hear from you. All right, your homework for this week is to strengthen your no muscle. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to businessboutique.com and the show notes for this episode and download my free resource, 25 Ways to Say No. And then I want you to pick one of those script answers and practice it this week. You know someone's gonna ask you to do something this week and it's probably something you don't wanna do. So here's your chance. Practice strengthening that no muscle and then over time, I promise you, eventually it feels good. You feel more powerful like you actually have a say in your own life. But get started with my download, 25 Ways to Say No, and then put it into practice this week. And that's it for this week. Thanks so much for hanging out with me as always. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. For more encouragement on how to make money doing what you love, visit businessboutique.com. Mercy Me is coming to Pittsburgh, the Together Again tour with Mercy Me, Crowder, and special guest Andrew Ripp, Thursday, October 5th. Bring your family and friends to the PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh for Mercy Me, Crowder, and Andrew Ripp live in concert. Three multiple award-winning artists on one stage for one night. Let your spirit soar, your heart sing, and your faith ignite. Mark your calendars for Thursday, October 5th. Get your tickets now at mercyme.org.